0: Hello and welcome back to the HSF Tax Emergency Podcast, Budget Night 2022, 10 to 10 in the evening. And joining me tonight in the wee small hours, partner Ryan Leslie. Hello, Ryan. Hi, Toby. And Professor Graham Cooper. Hello, Graham. Hello, Toby. Great to be with you all again on another exciting Budget Night, but perhaps not as exciting as we might have hoped Graham, your
1: thoughts? Toby, there was an expectation that there would be zero surprises in this budget because the treasurer has done his best to say this was just going to be a bread and butter budget. And he almost managed to make it bread and butter. But they did spring one surprise in the budget, which is the proposals dealing with Share buybacks that we'll no doubt talk about in a second, but they did take the opportunity also to elaborate a couple of the important proposals that the ALP took to the last election, dealing with changes to thin capitalization rules and payments of royalties that end up in tax havens. So there were some developments but I think still the elephant in the room that this budget doesn't deal with yet is all of the BEPS 2.0 changes that we may well see in the short term. So there was a few surprises, a few elaborations and a big gorilla sitting in the corner that that we have yet to deal with.
0: Indeed. We'll jump straight into the major surprise announcement and that was the change to the tax treatment of off-market share buybacks. So off-market share buybacks have been around for coming up on 20 years now and have been a useful measure whereby listed companies can offer shareholders to tender their shares at a buyback. Particularly useful where you have a small capital component, a very large dividend component able to be franked and that drove Low rate taxpayers, super funds, and tax exempts into buying and then selling into the buyback and effectively getting the benefit from the excess franking credit that was attached to the buyback proceeds. So, budget papers say the measure will apply from announcement on budget night and will align the treatment of off market buybacks with the treatment of on market buybacks. That is, no portion of the buyback price will be treated as a franked dividend. So effectively, this brings an end, I think, to the off-market buybacks as they will no longer make economic sense for any shareholders to sell into the buyback at a discount. It'll also have the added impact of limiting the ability of companies to release franking credits to shareholders other than by making large special dividends to all. So any thoughts on that, Graham or Ryan?
1: Toby, so far as companies have been concerned, this has been an opportunity for them to manage their capital requirements. It's been attractive for companies to be able to redeem some of their equity at a discount to market. Companies have felt that there was a benefit for them in doing this. Shareholders were willing to accept a discount to market because they were getting a portion of the price paid as a franc dividend. But after this announcement, I think the days of companies being able to retire some of their equity cheaply is uh, is pretty much going to be dead in the water
2: it's interesting in some ways it's not that surprising that the government are attacking off-market buyback structures there's been a lot of focus on limiting the ability to release franking credits In the recent past and off market buybacks obviously only have made economic sense historically because of the franking impact, but it is surprising that this is something that hadn't leaked or been mentioned or even flagged by the ATO in taxpayer alerts prior to the budget. There's been a number of both public speeches from ATO officials and also taxpayer alerts that were issued around superannuation funds in particular accessing benefits of franking credits in certain circumstances, but they never really had seemed to focus on off-market buybacks. So, it does come a little bit from left field.
0: Yep. So, estimated to save Treasury about $550 million in revenue in the first three years. So, moving on, the next big announcement was some further detail on the think capitalization changes. Ryan, your thoughts?
2: So, these changes were announced earlier in the year and there were some formal consultation that ran during August with submissions due in September. I think at the time people had thought that with the timing of submissions closing about a month and a half before the budget that it was potentially leading towards exposure draft or just draft legislation being released on budget night. We obviously don't have that level of detail but there is some more detail compared to what was announced previously. So the big picture remains that Australia's safe harbour from the thin capitalisation rules will move from the current 60% gearing level to a 30% of EBITDA. There's also been some further changes that our current worldwide gearing test, which again is based on a gearing level, will be continued in spirit, but will also move to an earnings-based test for consistency with the new safe harbour. There's been some clarity that denied deductions won't be necessarily denied forever, but instead entities will be able to carry them forward for up to 15 years to use in future. At this stage, it's not clear whether carrying forward denied deductions will be subject to 24 of business continuity or ownership continuity testing, but that'll be something to monitor for when more detail is released. Perhaps the biggest change, and this was quite surprising, I think, is that the arm's length debt test, although it'll be retained, it'll be amended substantially so that it will only protect deductions on third party debt and will not protect deductions on related party debt. So even if a company has raised debt from shareholders that is within the amount of debt that could be raised from an arm's length bank and that would be raised on arm's length terms between a lender and borrower, those deductions may still be denied. That change is going to have implications in a number of sectors. Infrastructure and real estate, particularly in an environment of rising interest rates, are likely to be particularly hard hit, especially where debt is long term. It's not uncommon and there are a number of listed companies that you can look at where their net interest cost is more than 30% of their EBITDA with purely external debt. And there's also a number of examples in the private space where it's possible to support external debt levels that have interest costs of more than 30% EBITDA. So it's interesting that this will really push a favouritism for third-party debt over related-party debt, even though for these types of projects, often the third-party debt results in no interest withholding tax being collected.
0: Yep. The other thing, no further detail on exactly what constitutes EBITDA for these purposes, that was one of the questions in the consultation paper, and whether there'd be any special carve-outs and allowances made for... Example, internal restructures. But I guess the 15 year window is designed to accommodate that.
1: Yes, Toby. One of the other things that Treasury was clearly nervous about in the consultation paper was whether they should allow a worldwide gearing test to remain. There was a bit of a conversation, you could see in the pages of the paper, about whether tightening of the safe harbour would simply force people to use an arm's length test or a worldwide gearing test. And so there was this concern about behavioural changes. But the announcement tonight suggests that Treasury has perhaps got a little bit more comfort that there won't be too much damage done because they clearly do not want people jumping from the safe harbour to relying on an arm's length debt test because, frankly, I think everybody believes arm's length tests are just imponderable. And so the retention of a modified arm's length debt test along with the 15-year carry forward means Treasury's got a degree of comfort that the world isn't going to end when they move from a gearing ratio based on the balance sheet to a gearing ratio based on the income statement. So there's
0: a little bit more detail on the proposal to deny deductions for royalties paid to low-tax jurisdictions by members of a significant global entity. The proposal is that Australian companies will be not able to claim a deduction in respect a royalty paid to an entity where that entity is based in a jurisdiction where the tax rate is less than 15%. That generally aligns with the proposed OECD Pillar 2 minimum tax rate, although it's not entirely clear whether that's just the headline tax rate or that is an effective tax rate, taking into account other credits and offsets that may be available in that jurisdiction, or to a a company where there is a patent box regime and the recipient of the royalty does not have sufficient economic substance. As we discussed in our our tax on this measure, usually where it's going to a low tax jurisdiction is a country in which Australia doesn't have a double tax treaty, so there will already be 30% royalty withholding tax on that payment. So this is an effective additional penalty on the Australian company. Okay, moving on. Graham, more resources for enforcement.
1: Yes, so this is the, the magic pudding of budgets over many years that the government just throws more money at the Australian tax office and says we want you to deliver additional revenue in response to the additional positions we've just funded for you. And we've gone back to the magic pudding again in this budget. The government will be giving more money to the ATO for enforcement activities in relation to unpaid personal tax. So this is high net wealth individuals. And in relation to the black economy. So there may well be real money there to be made. So far as multinationals are concerned, the government has said that they'll give the ATO another $200 million a year on top of their current funding for the ATO's Tax Avoidance Task Force and will extend the life of the task force. It's currently due to expire in June 2025 and they'll extend it for another year to June 2026. And so the government is hoping for a a three to one multiplier from their money spent. They say by putting in around an extra billion of resources, they expect to collect almost three billion in additional revenue over the next four years. So that's the multiplier that they're hoping to get out of this. These numbers almost never get revisited and almost never get challenged. The ATO is very fond of saying that they've delivered on these promises, but Some of the numbers appear to be a little bit rubbery, but we'll wait to see just how much money the government can make from cracking down on avoidance. Okay.
0: Now, the withdrawn and deferred measures. So I think in one of our first insights at HSEP, we went through the the list of announced but unenacted measures from uh, the previous government or governments going back many years. So the treasurer has taken an axe to some. Graham, do you want to just run through a few of those?
1: Yeah, this is a perennial problem that governments always get voted out of office without enacting their entire agenda. And so the government, the incoming government, has to do a bit of housekeeping. The housekeeping is only partial in this case. So the government has said they're not going to proceed with the proposal to allow taxpayers to self-assess the effective life of their intangible depreciating assets. That recommendation had been around for a while and it was in a former budget but has been withdrawn. The proposal to rewrite section 97480 in the debt equity tests. Now, that section is a section that deals with money that is moving through chains of companies and trusts. There was a proposal to rewrite that. In fact, there was draft legislation released talking about how the new model would work. That legislation was consulted on, but nothing happened and now nothing ever will. So that proposal has gone. There was a proposal to rewrite the entire TOFA regime. That proposal was announced by the former government, had second thoughts about the start date and decided that they would not be able to deliver it in the proposed timeframe. So the former government said, oh, Will only apply prospectively. And now the incoming government has said we're just not going to do it at all. So, unfortunately, for everyone, TOFA lives on. And the meager prospect that we had that it would eventually die has just been put to death.
0: And there was a very. Well, curious... I, I'm sorry, Graham, there is one person who will be very happy that is Tony Frost. He'll still be able to make money from his book sale.
1: Okay. There, there must be a silver lining somewhere somewhere now, all what I else? see is cloud but I guess there's a silver <laughs> lining somewhere and the last one Toby I've got here is there was a, there had been a proposal and Treasury had done a lot of work on this about how to deal with Islamic financing products and similar products where the lenders don't collect interest and how was our tax system to work particularly with holding tax for Australian resident borrowers who are using Islamic financing products. There'd been a proposal to try to regularise that. Treasury consulted on the proposal. That proposal appears to be dead. I suspect the market has worked out solutions to these problems, and the need for a legislative fix has disappeared. And Toby, I'll leave you to talk about LPCIVs.
0: Yes, so one of the other proposals going back to the 2016-2017 budget had been to bring in a collection of collective investment vehicles to basically bring Australia's legislative framework for private market and public market investment vehicles up to date. It has been a long, slow struggle to get to the corporate CIV and that finally came into effect late last year. But we had hoped that the government would pursue the limited partnership fund proposal. That is the standard for infrastructure, real estate, private equity and venture capital funds worldwide. Australia sits out using trusts as their base collective investment vehicle. So sadly that has been ditched as part of this budget. It was also hoped, I think perhaps more through wishful thinking than really reality, but it had been hoped that a limited partnership framework would allow the government to revisit whether we really needed a trading trust restriction for our collective investment vehicles like there is in Division 6C and limits MIT eligibility. Unfortunately, that presumably has also died as well. That's what has been announced, but there are a few measures that are still overhanging somewhere in the ether on which there's been no announcements. Ryan, do you want to discuss those?
2: Yeah, that's right, Toby. These are announcements that are obviously not important enough to be re-announced, but they haven't been dropped by the government's agenda. And some of them are pretty important. There's the announced changes to the residency test, both for companies and individuals. And I think the company residency test, it's particularly disappointing how long it's taking to see legislation in that space. So those are the changes that are essentially intended to reverse the ATO's interpretation of the corporate residence test following the Bywater case. And currently, it means that in particular, where you've got Foreign subsidiaries of Australian headquartered groups, there's a need to rely on essentially the rolling extension that happens on an annual basis of the ATO's concessional approach that it's outlined in its new ruling uh, in relation to its in- interpretation of the current residency tests. There's also the Board of Taxes proposals to reform CDT rollovers. There was a final report to government that hasn't been released publicly. Again, there are some really important aspects of that, including tidying up the changes to demerger relief and hopefully making demergers, particularly in the context of associated transactions, something which can be done without substantial tax leakage as it used to be able to be done in the past. There are also some more concerning aspects of those reports that it would be interesting to know where the government's thinking is, things like removing tax cost resetting for transactions that involve script-for-script rollover, so certainly some important changes in there with no update. There's also some that are perhaps less in the limelight. There's still the pending patent box regime to impose a 17% tax on income from certain medical and biotech patents with a potential expansion to clean energy-based patents. I think we'd all thought with the announcement of the multinational tax changes back in August, particularly when it was announced that payments of royalties to countries offered patent box regimes would be deemed payments to low tax jurisdictions that patent box regimes were not being looked on favourably. It's interesting that in the budget tonight not all patent box regimes are treated the same and patent box regimes which have a substance requirement are still considered good regimes from the perspective of those royalty changes so still on the radar when we thought it wasn't. There's also the reform of Division 7A deemed dividends from private companies which has been around for a long time and is a particularly complicated set of rules that can be a bugbear for small and not so small corporate groups, given that it applies essentially to all companies that aren't listed. And also, the other one's probably the recommendations of the House of Reps Standing Committee to reform the tax treatment of employee share ownership schemes. Still waiting to hear further detail on that.
0: Indeed, that is it for Budget Night, October twenty twenty two. We'll be back again in six months. Graham, I, I can tell you, thrilled.
1: What two budgets let's see if we can get three next year that's
0: right so graham ten fifteen on budget night that is a very early finish for you uh
1: it's great great work toby
0: <laughs> ryan i know you've got to call at 10 30 but we shall sign off and i'll get busy editing but thank you everyone for listening i hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back soon thanks all